So I'm the kids pastor here, and as we get started, what I want to do is I want to gauge the room. So would you do me a favor, and would you raise your hand if you were raised in a kids ministry, if you were raised in any sort of kids ministry? Okay, that's a lot of hands. That's awesome. All right, now would you raise your hand if you've ever served in kids ministry? Let's see that. Oh, all right, now raise your hand if you would like to start serving in kids ministry. Let's see that. No, no, I'm kidding. Oh, all right, Mr. Perry, come on. Um, Well, hey, kids' ministry is such a special ministry. There's so many awesome parts of it. I think my favorite part is we get to walk alongside parents, and we get to just enter into their lives and help them lead and disciple their children. Uh, We have incredible leaders, and, and just hanging out with kids on Sunday mornings is so much fun. But I think my favorite part more than anything is hearing the things that comes out of these kids' mouths. You, you can't even imagine, excuse me, you can't even imagine the things that comes out of kids' mouths. So I'll tell you two quick stories. Uh, last year, my wife and I, we were living in Atlanta, and we were serving with a preteen ministry. A uh, preteen mainly just fourth and fifth grade. And real quick, if you're a parent in here of a fourth and fifth grader, I just want you to know that at the end of service, we're going to have pastors up here at the front. So if y'all need prayer, which I know you do, y'all come on up. But I'm leading this ministry, and I said, hey, I want to step into the small group room. And so I'm sitting in in the fourth and fifth grade boys' small group room, and I'm listening to their teaching. I said, hey, do you mind if I talk for a minute? And I start walking through the gospel, and I'm explaining to these kids what Jesus has done. I'm like, kids, you have to understand. God loves you so much that he sent his son to this earth, that he lived a perfect life, something we could never do. It all culminated to this point where he went up on the cross, he took nails through his hands, and he died up on that cross for us because he loves us. But listen, three days later, God rose him from the dead. And as I'm teaching this, I'm watching the kid in the front row, and his eyes are getting bigger and bigger. And in my mind, I'm, God, you're saving this child. Like the lights are turning on. He's starting to understand. I'm watching him, and his mouth starts to open. I'm like, this is it. This is the moment. And he just goes, dudes, Jesus is a zombie. And I'm like, I'm fired. I'm fired. That's my job right there. I'm fired. And I'm like, how did you get from A to Z? I'll tell you one other story. At the first church I was a part of, it was Cross Church in Arkansas, and our kids' ministry, it had kindergartners in it. So it was kindergarten through fifth grade. And as I was talking to the kindergartner, you know, the way we communicate the truth changes a little bit to kids, but the truth is still the truth. So we were explaining to kids, yeah, when you put your faith in Jesus, he actually, he comes and he lives in your heart and he guides your heart. And this little kid looks at me with these big old eyes, and he just goes, looks up at me, looks down at himself, and he goes, how does he fit in there? And it's like, it's adorable. You don't want to notice, you're like, ah, he can squeeze, but no. It, it, so it's cute. But, but in reality, these kids are just struggling to understand these deep spiritual concepts, right? And in a lot of ways, kids aren't that different from us. Just like as we try to understand the truths that are in this Bible, because there's so much truth and so much of it is hard for us to comprehend. And we're going to meet somebody in our passage today named Nicodemus who, he just had questions. He was just trying to figure it out. And if we're being honest, whether you've been here for 60 years or maybe you've been in here for 60 seconds, I think we all have questions, right? So what I want to do just real quick on the count of three, I want everyone to just say, I got questions. All right. One, two, three, I got questions. We all have questions. So what we're going to do, go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 3. 
And we're just going to walk through this. So John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So we meet this man. His name's Nicodemus. Everybody say Nicodemus. So Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. So at this time, he's a very religious man. He would be looked at as a religious leader of the time. So religious, he would tithe faithfully. He would fast twice a week. Uh, when he was being uh, brought up in the, what, when he was growing up, he would have had the first five books of the Bible memorized. So this is a very, very religious man. And as we keep reading into verse 2, it says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that come from God. For no one can do these signs unless God is with them. So we got to pay attention. If you have your Bible, I want you to underline where it says, this man came to Jesus by night. He came to Jesus by night, which begs the question, why by night? Because you got to think in this time, if you wanted to find Jesus, I don't think he would have been that hard to find. People would have been talking about him through the community. Have you heard of this guy? Have you heard? I think he's in the courtyard today. He's teaching. He's been performing miracles. He wouldn't have been a hard guy to find. But Nicodemus chooses to go to Jesus by night. So you start to wonder, why? Maybe he was insecure because all these people are looking at him. You're the religious leader of our time. You're the re- you should have the answers. So he seeks out Jesus at night so he can have this personal conversation where nobody else is around and he can just get real with Jesus. He can just be completely honest and transparent with Jesus. So he comes up, says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And I love this. Jesus answered him. Listen to this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see what Jesus is doing here? He knows Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus is no stranger to Jesus. In fact, Jesus would have formed and knitted Nicodemus in his mother's womb. Jesus knows exactly who Nicodemus is. So Nicodemus walks up. Hey, we, we know you're from God. We, we get it. We, we know the things you're doing. No one can do that unless God is with them. Now, Nicodemus being raised Jewish, he would have believed that all he had to do for salvation, to make it to heaven, to be made right with God, was to be born into the chosen people of God and be born a Jew and just do his best to obey the Mosaic law. And Jesus knows that's what he believes. So what Jesus does here is he completely wrecks Nicodemus' worldview. He says, hey, hey, before we even go further, let's get one thing straight. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, we hear that and we're like, Nicodemus, what? Why would you even say? That's weird. But in reality, he's just trying to comprehend this. Everything he had been raised to believe up to this point was just shattered. And he's saying, well, do, what does this even mean? Do I have to enter into my mother's womb and leave when I'm all? How does this work? Everything he had believed had just been shattered. And we see right here, Jesus just looks at him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I want, I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. When Jesus says you have to be born of water and the Spirit, he is not talking about baptism here. He's talking about natural birth, natural birth 
versus spiritual birth. And he's teasing these two things apart. He's saying you can't just be born into this people. There has to come this moment where you are born again in Christ. Now something that's kind of interesting is that phrase born again. The Greek word is anothen. Everybody say anothen. What that can also be translated to is born from above. So what Jesus is saying is, it's not enough just to be born into this people of God. It's not enough to be born into a Christian family. It's not enough to be born and raised in the church. There has to come a moment where we get real with God and he does a work in us that only he can do, where he gives us a new spirit and a new heart. There has to be this whole moment where we're born again. And Jesus continues on. We're in verse 7. He says, hey, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. Sorry, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You know what Jesus is saying here? Because really, you could only imagine Nicodemus right now. He's probably just standing what? What is happening? And Jesus just stops. He says, hey, hey, hey listen, I, I know you don't fully understand. Because, you know, like, even like the wind, you hear it blowing, you feel it brush past your skin, and then it goes. You know it's real because you feel it, but you can't fully understand it. It's the same thing with people who are born of the Spirit. We, not, we not, may not fully understand it, but that doesn't make it any less real. And that's what Jesus is trying to explain here. And we see Nicodemus right here in verse 9. He just goes, how can these things be? How can these things be? Everything I was raised, everything I thought I knew, it's how can these things be? He's trying to understand it. And Jesus answers them and he goes, hey, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he, is he who has descended from heaven. Jesus is talking about his own authority here. He's saying, hey, you may not fully understand it, but you need to trust me. Because I know you're from here. I came from heaven. I've been up there. I understand. I'm the one who created this whole thing. It may not make sense, but that's why we have to have faith. Would you trust me? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended. Jesus talking about his own authority here. Now, I love this next part. You see, in verse 14, what Jesus does is he quotes the Old Testament. So after Jesus is talking about his own authority, and Nicodemus sitting here, how can these things be? Jesus is saying, hey, you need to trust me. Listen to this. He goes, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Listen to this. So what I want y'all to do later is go back and read Numbers 21. Numbers 21, because this is what Jesus is referencing. Now what happens is I'm just going to give you kind of a snippet. Here's what happened. Moses was leading the people, and the Israelites were following them, but they were complaining. They were complaining against God because they were hungry. The food wasn't enough. The water wasn't enough. They're complaining, and they sin against God. And so what God does, he just kind of steps back. Okay, so he sends these serpents, these snakes, and they come through, and they start biting some of the Israelites, and some of the Israelites, they start dying off. And so we see that they had sinned, and they're paying the price for their sin. 
So they go and they go, okay, we messed up. We made a mistake. We understand we have sinned against God. We've messed up. Moses, we're sorry. Would you pray for us? So they repent from their sin. We've messed up. Moses, would you pray for us? And so what God does, he says, okay, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a serpent and I want you to hold it in the air. And whenever they're bitten, if they'll look to the serpent, they will be healed and they'll live. Now what's really cool is that serpent he made, it was a bronze serpent and it was put up on a pole. Now in the Old Testament, bronze would have represented judgment and the serpent would have represented sin. So we get this picture saying, here's what I want you to do. Well, I'm gonna give you a picture of what it looks like when sin is rightfully judged, and if your people will look to that, then they'll be healed. Jesus is prophesying what he's about to do. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm gonna be the ultimate picture of what sin looks like when it's rightfully judged because I'm gonna take the punishment for your sin. He's referencing this saying, this is what's to come. So he's given us this picture, this is what Jesus is about to do. Now we're gonna move forward into verse 16. Uh, I'm sure everybody here has heard this verse at some point in their life. Now we're gonna hear one phrase repeated over and over and over because let's establish what Jesus just did at first. So Jesus took Nicodemus's worldview of how to be saved and completely wrecked it and said, the only way to be saved is where you have a moment where you turn from your sin Put your faith in me, and what God does, he'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. That's how you be saved. Now, what Jesus is about to do next is he's going to wreck Nicodemus' worldview of who can be saved. Because up to this point, Nicodemus would have said, no, it's, it's us. It's the chosen people of God. We're the only, it's not for the Gentiles, the people who aren't you. No, it's for us. And so Jesus is going to use this phrase, and I want you all to say it with me. He's going to use this phrase, whoever. Everybody say, Whoever. Jesus is going to use this phrase, whoever, over and over and over in this next part. And what's so good about this is when Jesus says whoever, you want to know what he means by it? He means whoever. He's saying it doesn't matter where you've come from, what you've done, who you are. It does not matter because when you look to me, everything's equal. You know, I've heard a pastor say that there's equal ground at the foot of the cross. So you may have come in today and you just feel dirty. But guess what? We are the whoever. You are the whoever. Every single person in this room is that whoever. Now listen to this. John 3, 16. Let's just work through this slowly. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. God's motivation was his love for this world. It's his love that led him to do this. For God so loved the world. You know, I think we have this thing where when we read the world, sometimes what we like to do is just imagine God is so far back and he just sees this little globe and he's so far removed. But in reality, he is so much more intertwined in our lives than that. It's not just for God so loved the world from this distant view, but for God so loved you, for God so loved me that he was willing to give his son. So I want you to know, you may walk in here and you may be feeling like, man, I've run from God for so long. I haven't prayed in this. It doesn't matter. God is so deeply intertwined in our lives that he knows exactly who you are. Exactly. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the thoughts in your mind. He knows everything about you. 
And he loved you so much that he wasn't willing to let you just be the way you are, so he paid a punishment. We're going to get into that, but listen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We see whoever, but there's a word that comes after whoever, and it's believes. Believes. It's so hard for me to wrap my mind around that, right? Because what we think it should say is uh, whoever tithes the most faithfully, whoever prays the much, whoever reads their Bible every day, whoever does, whoever does this, this, and this, but that's not the truth. It's whoever believes. And you know, that's really what separates Christianity from everything else, because all these other religions, it's like you have this mountain, and all they're trying to do is climb their way to the top of the mountain, and maybe by the end of their life, they'll make it to the top, maybe not. But the truth is, is that the God that was on top of the mountain came down to the bottom of the mountain, grabbed us, and said, no, you're coming up with me. That's the truth. That's the truth. And so you may be wondering, Okay, I, I hear that phrase, believes. I, I hear believes, but I need to know what exactly am I believing in? I'll tell you. The truth is, as just blank as we can make it, we all sin. You know, in Genesis 3, it's the first book of the Bible, Genesis 3, we see where sin enters humanity. Y'all may remember the story where Eve takes the bite of the apple. But the truth is, that moment that we sinned, it crept its way into all of our lives. No matter how righteous you felt this morning, at some point, we have all sinned. I don't know if you felt it, but sometimes we just can't help it. Like we try and we work hard and we do good, but then all of a sudden we fall back into sin. Like we do good for a little bit, oh, but I sinned again. I sinned. The truth is we all have sin. Every single one of us has sin. It may look differently, but we all have sin. And just like when we do wrong, there has to be a punishment. The way I always tell kids, you know when you're at home and you do wrong, you get in trouble. Our sin has left us deserving of a punishment in front of a holy God. But what God did for us is he said, I don't want you to pay the punishment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give my son to take the punishment for you. So God sends Jesus to earth and he lives a perfect life. A perfect life. Never sins once. All he did is he loved people. He healed people. He taught people this is how to love God. This is how to love people. He goes through his whole life until he ends up this point where he goes up on the cross. And we've heard it before. But he goes up on the cross and he takes nails through his hands and he hangs up there. He hangs up there taking his last breath and he did it because he loves us. He did it because he loves us. But then three days later, God rose him from the dead. Just like that song we sang, he defeated sin and death. He raised him from the dead. It's just whoever believes in me, whoever believes that I sent my son to pay the punishment for you, that's how you're saved. That's what we're putting our faith in, that Jesus paid the punishment for us. That Jesus paid the punishment for us. Now, a lot of times we read John 3.16 as great, but I equally think John 3.17 is just as good. So let's look at John 3.17. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Man, that's good. Man, that's so good. Because what that's saying to us is, I think growing up, and everybody was raised differently, right? But a lot of times we grow up and we think that God is just like hiding in the back and he's waiting for us to do something wrong and then bam, he's got us. And we feel guilty and we feel dirty and we don't want to go to God. 
But what this is saying is, no, no, no. I don't know where you learned that or where you got it because he didn't send his son to condemn the world and say, you're doing this, this, and this wrong. He didn't do that. He came that the world might be saved through him. So I don't know who you are, but if you've been running from God, it's start to start, blah, blah. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is if you've spent your whole life running from God, it's time to start running to God because he's not waiting to condemn you. He came here to save you. So run into his arms and not away from his arms. Now Jesus just continues on here and he's going over the gospel. We're going to jump forward for time's sake. And let's go to verse 25. So, so John the Baptist, he's talking here. Now listen to this. Now a, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person not can, cannot receive one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom who stands hears him and rejoices greatly. Man, John the Baptist is such a great picture of what a Christ follower should look like. Because his life was marked by don't look at me, but look at him. It was always marked by that. They're saying, hey, hey, you had your little group, and now they're all leaving to go to Jesus. Doesn't that bother Hey, no. And what he does is he gives this picture. He gives this picture of a wedding, right? He's saying, hey, you know like a wedding, how, how there's the groom who's standing at the front, and, and, and the bride's going to be coming in, but then there's that guy who stands right next to the groom, and he's just celebrating. Now, I think back to my wedding. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember how nervous I was, and I was standing at the front, and I was just like, right here, there's the aisle. And I remember Ellie, she turns the corner, she starts walking down. And in that moment, I just remember being so excited, and I was just, just get to the altar. I'm so ready to marry you. I love you. I want you here. And Jimmy, Jimmy's my best man, he's standing right next to me. How weird would it be if when I'm standing there and my bride's walking towards me and I'm saying, how weird would it be if Jimmy goes, step aside? How weird would that be? <laughs> it wouldn't make sense. I think I would have knocked him, not actually, but, but like how weird would that be? Jimmy knew that in that moment, his role was not to step in the way of me and my bride, but to support me, to encourage me, and to love on me that day. And that's our role with Christ. We need to be people who are pointing people, the bride to the groom, not pointing people to ourselves, making it all about me, but saying, no, 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 no. Have you met my God? This is all about pointing people to Jesus. Now he says this last statement, and it's so good. But verse 30 says, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase but I must decrease. We don't just start following Christ and we do this perfectly. That's not the truth. And if you walked in feeling that way, I'm sorry. Um, we have this idea that as soon as we put our faith in Christ, our lives just are perfect and it's, it's, it's never gonna, we're never going to mess up anymore. But what he is saying is, hey, as life goes on, what it should be marked by, the trajectory should always be God must increase 
and I must decrease. And so if you're in this room, and maybe you've been so focused on, on, on who you are and how you can point people to yourself, I would just encourage you. When you have a healthy view of God, everything in your life changes. So I want to encourage you that as we leave today and as, as we move forward, let's just focus on how can we make more of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and less of who we are. Now, what I want to do real quick is as the band comes up, I just want everyone to close your eyes and would you bow your heads real quick. And, and there's no secret in why we do this. What we're doing is just like we saw today in our passage. It started with Nicodemus having a personal conversation with God. A conversation where he can just get real with God, where he can be himself, be open about his insecurities, what he's thinking, what he's believing. It's this personal moment where he can just be with God. Now maybe you're in here today, and this is the first time you've heard what Jesus has done for us. Maybe you've spent your whole life running because you thought he was sent to condemn you. And maybe you've heard for the first time, no, he was not sent to condemn you. He was sent to save you. It all starts with making that decision. Say, okay, I get it, God. I, I, I believe it. It didn't make sense to me before, but I understand, God, that I have messed up, that I have sinned, but I believe that even though I have sinned, God, that you didn't want me to take that punishment and that you decided that you were going to send your son to take that punishment for me. Well, I want to encourage you today, if you've never made that decision, what a better time than today. Don't wait on it. God loves you, and listen to me clearly. He knows exactly who you are. He knows everything you've done. And he still loves you. And he still sent his son to die for you. What we're going to do in a minute is we're going to have our pastors come to the front. Now we're going to pray. But if you need prayer for anything or if you made that decision for the first time today, I just want to encourage you. Come talk to somebody up here. Don't keep that inside. Come talk to somebody up here. Let's pray real quick. Jesus, we love you. God, we are so thankful for you. Lord, we pray that you would just allow us to see you as we should. God, let us make much of you and less of ourselves, Lord. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for these pastors. And thank you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.